One of the ways the goodness of God came after God's people was by God writing the Proverbs for him, for them. There was uh, a time in the Old Testament, uh, oftentimes we read it, and one of the mistakes we make is we think that they just, everything was happening so close together. But really, there are hundreds of years between many of the events that you read about, and hundreds and sometimes thousands of years between the events of the Bible. As a matter of fact, there was 400 years, which is 150 years longer than our country, that God was silent after the uh, last book of the Old Testament until we hear from Christ in the New. So um, one of the ways that God in his love and his kindness helped his people is that they, they, they just didn't have a hero always in front of them to look to. They heard about uh, Moses from the past, but it just wasn't like it was always in front of them. And one of the things, one of the things commentators say is that in God's graciousness, he provided the book of Proverbs to help them in just everyday life, in all those days that they needed to know, how do we live in this world that you've created for us? And so that's what God, one of the purposes of Proverbs. Uh, that's where we are. If you're visiting with us, we're in a series on the Proverbs, and I hope we'll highlight, uh, I won't re re revisit everything we've established so far, but one thing I want you to hear is that God wants you in, in his kindness to, to, um, uh, to flourish in his creation. He wants you to flourish, and that's when he gives the Proverbs for us. And so where we are topically, we're kind of approaching it in themes that you find in the Proverbs. You can't really preach through them sequentially because it kind of jumps all over. But right now, we're in the topic of words. And um, last week, Kevin did the first. I'll do two weeks now on words. But last week, he established just the power of words uh, that they have and the power of the tongue that, it, uh, that God, when you think about that, even God spoke the world into existence and we see the power of the tongue, that it can set the course of life uh, for you and for people. It's like the same way a spark can kind of set a whole forest on fire. And so we've looked at that. This week, we'll be looking at the idea of the tongue if it's great, of great power, then it does uh, beg the question or beg the, us to ask, how do you control this thing that has so much power? If it is that powerful and our tongues and our words are that much, much so powerful, how can we control them? So you'll see in our, even our passage, Proverbs 17, 27, 28, it says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. So the, what we're looking at about words in the tongue is the idea of restraining or controlling them or taming the tongue. So one of the metaphors in the Bible, it speaks about the tongue is like a river or a river of life, a stream that flows out. And so I thought, how can I get a metaphor for us this morning to kind of have, and one that came to mind was the idea of a river. It's a run with that. And uh, how do you control a river? And it made me think about a dam, right? <laughs> uh, and I grew up, I want to show you a picture here. I grew up near the Tennessee River. This is a picture of Wilson Dam. Uh, at one point was the largest single lock. Uh, you can't see it on the lower part there uh, where those cars are parked. That's where the barges come through, and it lowers it down some hundred feet to the lower level as barges and ships pass through. But uh, the Tennessee River has, uh, actually originates, you know, up in uh, Knoxville and uh, goes down into North Alabama, and then it comes back up into Kentucky and goes into the Ohio and then uh, into the Mississippi River. But at its point here in Alabama, it's at its largest and widest point. And it's known as a river, for those of you who are fishermen, I just saw Tyler, it's, a, it's the small bath mouth bass capital of the world on the, on the Tennessee River because of its powerful uh, stream where that it moves so, uh, the current so fast. And smallmouth bass like to swim in, in swift currents. So uh, this particular dam uh, was one that we've driven over. I've visited all my life and um, love to come to see it. And um, and what, uh, what we learn about the tongue, and we established last week, is it is an incredible source of power. And um, if I take the metaphor here, here's what I'm trying to run with this morning. Think of the river as our tongue, all right? And then think of the dam as, God, as, as our efforts to try to restrain or 
control or tame the tongue, the same way a dam controls a river. And um, uh, when, uh, when, when this particular, just to know that this particular dam is not uh, a dam that stopped river flow, uh, and so um, it's a hydraulic uh, dam, so it's to produce, the purpose of this particular dam was to produce tons of electricity uh, from the TVA, from the, uh, the New Deal under FDR. And so, so the goal of the dam is not to stop the river from flowing, which when you're going to see some of the Proverbs we look at today, it feels like, golly, and even our studies this week, can we even talk? <laughs> can we even say a word? Does God just want us to be mute? So no, just as in the dam and the metaphor, it's not, the goal isn't to stop the river, it's to tame it, that the river would move at an appropriate rate and come through that dam in an appropriate way that would be beneficial. It's so much power to it. Uh, this is all the benefits from it. I'll just give some, but like, there's tons now of state parks all across the shorelines and homes and living, recreation, fishing, uh, um, as I told you, tournaments, electricity, uh, conservation and protection of wildlife, industry, jobs. If you begin to study this down, what it produced. When the river was controlled, all these benefits come. The development of a city and a port city there in Florence, uh, Alabama. And um, at one point, there was actually a decision being made. Ford Motor Company back in the early 1900s thought about placing their plant there near this thing. So Florence, Alabama could have been Detroit. They chose Detroit over Florence because of this particular river. But Needless to say, there's all kinds of things, the good, that come from this river and it being, if you will, uh, tamed. So hear that. Our tongues have the great power to do much good, right? But at the same time, um, and I'll say this. One economist actually said about the residents because of the electricity it provided. It said it provided universally high standards of living, new jobs, leisure, freedom to the end of drudgery, congestion, noise, smoke, and filth. That this particular dam provided hope for rural Alabama and northern Tennessee and southern Tennessee because, so I benefited, I lived in a warm house because of what this thing could produce. So it had great power. But when the floodgates are opened, and you'll see this picture here, there's one, a lot of things can happen badly. So much so, you'll see the next, that, that, uh, you'll see the, the third one here, that that's what it looks like downriver when the floodgates are open, when it's a terrible flood is going on. There's actually islands there that have disappeared and, um, and it can affect anything. So when the floodgates are open, destruction comes. And so it is with our tongues. When they're not restrained, destruction can come when the floodgates are open. But when it's tamed, it's of great joy. So let's look at the idea this morning. Um, let me say one thing here. It takes great effort to control this power source. And let me read something to you. To build this particular dam was very costly. It took seven years. They tried to, they just started at the end of the World War I. And um, seven years to build it. 56 people died. There's a memorial there on the, that you can see of all the people that died. Like when they were pouring the concrete, sometimes men would fall in and their lives would be over. So at great cost to build this. But listen to what it took in 19, During construction, the site briefly became a city in its own right employing over 18,000 workers and consisting of over 1,700 temporary buildings, 236 permanent buildings, 185 residential units, 165 miles of sewage pipeline, 685 miles of electrical cabling. The settlement's mess halls serve 20,000 meals a day. It also contained a school with capacity for 850 students, three barbershops, and a hospital. Taming our tongues can feel like trying to build 
like you were trying to build this dam in 1919 by yourself. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do. And listen, this is a bad week. If you, I didn't do much restraining watching the Alabama football game yesterday. So, <laughs> And if I'm really honest, um, it's been one of the hardest weeks to re- control my tongue that I've had. I felt under attack that. So I'm, I'm not a man or a pastor who has um, the tongue tamed the way it ought to be. And to do so, if you, if, you're, if you feel like I do, it can feel like trying to build this dam by yourself when it requires unbelievable resources, really spiritual cosmic resources of God for us to be a people whose tongues are tamed. So just a couple of thoughts to answer. When is the tongue... Uh, when is the dam not working properly? We'll look at a few Proverbs of that. When is the dam, there's, there's a lot more than what we're going to look at in, the, in Proverbs. But when is the dam not working properly? So you'll know, this is when the floodgates are open and it shouldn't be, um, uh, destruction could be coming. And then, um, and then how, do we, uh, how do you operate the dam? That's the two questions. Let me pray. Father, we're humbled by the... Um, by the uh, power of our tongue and we confess that we if we are going to tame it control it damn it up if you will then we need to hear from you and we need your help we are not capable of doing so apart from you and um and even now uh, i know that this is um a powerful thing because there are people, we are all sitting around right now thinking about all the words that we wish we had back in our lives or all the words that we know that are resonating in our minds that someone said to us at any point in our life that still resonate and are still having an effect on us. But the tongue and words are so powerful. So would you help us? We cry out for help. We use our tongues and confess to you of our need for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll look at a couple of Proverbs here that uh, some of them we looked at in the study. I think all of these we did look at the study. But when is the dam not properly working? When is it not, um, when is it not uh, um, working as it should? And um, the goal is to restrain it. The first one we'll look at is in Proverbs uh, 10, 19. You'll see here um, many... Many, uh, let me read that. When words are many, transgressions is not liking, but when whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So one of the ways that you and I can notice or realize that maybe our, the dam isn't working properly in our lives is if we have way too many words, if you are talking a lot. That's, that is a warning here from the passage, and it was one, uh, if you look at the other translation, this, uh, the CSB, which many were in our studies this week, it says that sin is unavoidable. And so here's the point. If there are a lot of words going on, then what the scripture is saying, if you have, if, no matter what you're saying or how you're saying or whatever, if there's just a lot of words, that means that sin is very oftentimes is present, that it's unavoidable, that it's going to be there. Now, that seems uh, pretty scary. You're like, well, does that mean to be, are we supposed to be quiet and not say a word? No, remember that the Proverbs are trying to warn you back. Like, they're trying to warn you back. The, the passage doesn't say stop talking. It just says when words are many, you need to be aware of this, that sin is absent. And it says that it's unavoidable, and that's a strong word, and that ought to hasten us back to say, remember, the, the Proverbs are not just a, how many words do I say, and what should I say and not say? The Proverbs are a pathway, 
And one of the ways, if you talk a lot, it's warning you back off this ditch, off the pathway to say, when words are a lot, sin is unavoidable. Hear the weight of that. Consider how much you're talking. Uh, And why is that true? Well, it's true because of this, because Jesus tells us uh, in the Gospels, and he tells us this, that, that out of the mouth speaks an overflow of the heart. And what is wrong with everyone's heart? It's totally depraved. Now, we're not as depraved as we could do, but our hearts, apart from being changed by God, are, are full of sin. And now the mouth speaks. And so if there's a lot of words, if the tongue is connected to the heart and the, our hearts are, are uh, apart from God's grace and we know are sinners, then that means that sin is always present. You see that. So, um, so even though I am going to say a lot of words here, I shouldn't. <laughs> I should be warned here by how many words there are. That's, I'm on a pitch count, right, by this uh, particular passage. By the way, that's a hard passage to have to preach on. Have you thought about that? <laughs> so anyway, but uh, the, uh, even in the words I'm saying here because of my heart, just to say this way, I don't say everything perfectly. And you don't know what's going on. In, sin is present. You don't know what's going on in my heart. You don't know what I said out of fear, what I said out of arrogance, what I said in the wrong way. How I, I mean, there's, it's just present. So the proverb is trying to warn us the way the dam, if the dam, if there's too much talking, if too many words, uh, then sin is present. And maybe ways you can think about this, you know, different places and, uh, you know, if you go out to dinner and maybe uh, you're, you come away and you remember, it's like, wow, I did all the talking. Well, the question, why did you do all the talking? Were you the center of the tension, right? Now, there's an appropriate times we go to dinner and somebody's hurt and say, hey, we want to hear from you. You have the table. I'm not talking about that, but in general, that might be a place. Did I talk? Why did you do all the talking? Why were you not considering other people? Doesn't mean it, but the power doesn't tell us how many words you said or how many sentences you said. It's just think about that. Get back to the pathway of not letting there be many words. The parent who sees the child disengaged and keeps talking. I've never done that to my children. But there's a reason, Charlie Brown. The teacher. What did the teacher do? Wah, 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 right? I mean, that's, a, that's the world's commentary. What? That words, I mean, it just can become about you. Words can be overwhelming to people. And it can communicate all kinds of things. That it's more about you, or you're not listening, or you're not in tune to them. When words are present, or many words are present, sin is not lacking. Transgression is not lacking, right? If I'm always, another place of words, if I'm always posting and posting and posting about me and me and me on the internet and social media, posting about me, saying words about myself, sin's not absent in that. Somehow, some way. Is it evil in and of itself to post all the time on the, on the uh, internet? No. Well, the scriptures teaches those, but when that's happening, transgressions are not lacking. Where we're always talking. That ought to warn us back to at least think that. And that's what he's saying. Um, by the way, it's an interesting thought, but God doesn't overwhelm us with words. I mean, some of you are always like, say more, God, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. But he, he has spoken through his creation. He has spoken through his special revelation of the word. It's sufficient. You realize we only have 50 minutes of Jesus' speaking words recorded in the scriptures? There's something to some words are just enough for that. So 
the dam can be coming open. And that way others, just we see in Proverbs 15, 28, that blurting out, this is uh, an untimely word. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. So unrestrained words are never wise. Blah, 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 just, just to say without thinking anything. It's in the scripture, he's saying that that's just not um, a wise thing to do. Uh, it was, I have been told by a dear friend who read this, that, in, in, uh, that Abraham Lincoln, some of you may know this, that before he would oftentimes have something difficult to say and write, and he would, uh, before he would write a letter and just kind of get it out, but he would always put it in his desk and wait 24 hours and look at it the next day to see if he should send that letter, and most of them got tossed. What is the principle that Abraham Lincoln was applying? That he would think before he spoke. He wasn't just blurting out. Everything that he, uh, and responded to everything he saw. Um, listen, God is so patient with us. He's not just saying, stop, stop shame. Stop, stop, don't do that, shame. Don't do, do, do that. Is he not long-suffering and patient with us? And kind and speaking at the appropriate time and the ways of what he's orchestrating. There's a patience. It's not sudden. There's thoughtfulness to it. Boasting. Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So we could go on and on. I hope you can see that. But the heart of this is that do you think the most important thing you can do in the moment is give your opinion? That's a good question to ask. Do you think that your opinion, listen, that's a hard one for a pastor. Like, I'm supposed to have an opinion on money because the Bible speaks to it all. But that can be a terrible thing that a pastor does. To act like he knows about everything. I just don't. But we feel that. I recently, um, I was looking ahead at these passages and thinking about it, and I was in a situation where I had a number of friends, we had a discussion about something that I felt like this was one topic I kind of knew about. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, but no one ever turned to me to ask. And I didn't, I was, I was usually normal, I'm like, well, hey, let me tell you what I think about this. In this moment, I didn't, all right? So some, <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit was that. But it was a, I was so convicted and sweet to say, it, I trust you, God, and my opinion isn't the thing that everybody needs. And the arrogance of my heart to feel like I had to share that. The conversation went great without me. Better without me, probably, for sure. And um, where are you looking in your lives where you feel like you have to share your opinion all the time? Like, we're an opinion-obsessed culture. I mean, I never thought I'd live in a culture where it's like, I'm going to create this thing called a podcast because I just assume everybody wants to know what I'm thinking about everything. But I'm, I'm just as much like those as they are. I just hide it, and I'm self-righteous and won't have a podcast, but that's the way I function with my kids, that I know everything. And when that's happening, the dam is flooding. The last one here is just um, uh, in Proverbs eighteen thirteen, just the idea of not listening. The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. Um, what keeps you from listening? What keeps you from listening to your spouse, to your friends? 
to your children. This was a good discussion we had in a couple of studies I was in in Proverbs this week. And man, there was a long list. I was encouraged by the men who knew. I'm distracted, or I don't see it valuable, or I just don't sit still enough, or I have something else going on in my mind. Or, I mean, there's... Or I'm thinking of an answer, how to fix the problem. I think everybody needs my opinion and my fix to me to fix the problem. I mean, there's a lot of things that keep you from listening. But what is it from you that keeps you from listening to others? And what the Proverbs is saying is people who don't listen, look, they bring, there's this foolishness and disgrace that is brought by someone who doesn't listen. In James 1.19, right, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And uh, listening seems to be... That's a crux. So people who don't listen, people who blurt out a lot, people who are always wanting to share their own opinions and they have lots of words, whenever that's coming on, then, then the dam isn't doing what it should be. Hope you feel the weight of that. And um, I do. May I say to you on the listening side, God is a listener, and he longs for you to listen to you. Remember, I just said a minute ago, he's just not always speaking, 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 although the creation is pouring forth speech all the time, but he listens to you, and he longs to hear from you, and um, if that's what he's doing, and we bear his image, then what we ought to be doing is listening. It is a scary thought to think about how much we've missed out on in life and good because we haven't listened. And uh, I don't know about you, but one of the ways I've realized that I struggle with this listening aspect is that um, uh, if I'm, uh, I do a lot of counseling or I'm helping people answer things, or I have five children, so I've already raised three, and as the younger ones come along. So whenever I hear, whenever I hear someone sharing something, and it's familiar to what I've dealt with before, I stop listening. And I start figuring out, oh, I've heard this before. I know what you need to know. I'll tell you that, whatever. And that's crazy. Because although you may have been through a death, and you may have been through a death, how it's affecting you is really, really different. And each individual, God cares about who they are and their image bears what's going on in them. And so in listening, I need to dismiss that and listen and not conclude that I know where this ought to go. I don't know if you do that. And the beauty of that God himself, I mean, if anybody could say, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I think I could say that. And yeah, 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 that um, I'm all-knowing, I already know that. But what does he say to his people in Isaiah? To give my ears no rest. Come to me, all you heavy laden. Bring your, bring your stuff to me. I hear you. So the floodgates can be opened in numerous ways. There's three or four of them. But then how, to, how, to, how do you operate the dam? And uh, I hope this will be encouraging to you. So remember, it feels like a daunting task. They had 18, they fed 20,000 mules a day uh, to build that dam, <laughs> the Wilson Dam. Um, I think about all the opportunities I have to speak and to apply this and listen and do all that. That's an overwhelming, daunting task. I don't know if you feel that way. But how to operate it? Well, the first way to operate the dam is to first, what Chris is trying to teach in our, in our, uh, and is, we're trying to address is to live in line with the gospel. You'll see here is that to go back to the gospel. 
right? That's how you learn to control the tongue is you really have to go back to the gospel. And the gospel is this, right? Because here's what the, gospel, here's what the reality is, is that I will never be able to restrain the tongue perfectly. I'm just going to screw up. I'm going to keep doing that, right? That is a reality. We don't believe in a sinless perfection. We don't believe any of you are capable of it. So just push the release button that you are not capable from here going forward to, to control your tongue perfectly. That's why you and all of us, we need Christ and why we need his forgiveness and his love and why we do it. So that's the first thought. And, um, but you say, okay, well, thanks for that. Does that mean I'm off the hook? No, that's not what the gospel does. The very gospel that sets us free and forgives us, that's when Paul says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And so it's the very gospel that becomes our motivation for us to help and to grow. So let me say it this way. I live in a house, an older house. We have seven people, six people now. One's off at college, but sometimes seven people living there. And I'll go back to the cleaning house thing that Amy was remembering. That will be good illustration, right? Here's the reality. I can't, we cannot perfectly, and the Terrells, if you know us, we'd have a hard time anyway, but we could never keep our house perfectly clean. It's an old house, and there, but there is like, if you, what is perfection, right? Like there's no dust. You realize how many particles of dust are falling every day. Like, and you run around and catch them all. And I mean, it's an infinite. There is no way for anyone to keep their house perfectly clean. But do we pursue cleanliness in the Terrell home? We do. Not as good as maybe some of you. Brittany's laughing. No, we don't. <laughs> No, we do, believe it or not. We do. We pursue cleanliness. Yes, we do. And although we can never have a perfectly clean house, when we don't pursue cleanliness in our home at all, it is miserable. It is filthy. It is chaos. But when we pursue cleanliness, there is some sort of, um, we do pursue it. We move to a place of thriving, not perfection. But as we pursue cleanliness, we move to a place of better thriving. The motivation for that in our life, so you see that, we, we, don't, we, don't, we will never do our words perfectly, but we do pursue it because of Christ's love. His motivation makes us want to pursue it. So we can move to a place in our lives where our tongue, if you will, is like a dam. And there is water being controlled. It's the same way. Our thriving women. We can, we can uh, not pursue it at all. And that's what I mean by the gospel. So hear that. Hear that. So don't say, well, I'll never do it perfect. Give up. The gospel doesn't do that. It's because of the love of Christ, his forgiveness, it sets us free to try and to obey him. So the other thing is that we need is self-control, and we need self-control. And as I tell you that, that's still, I don't mean self-control out of line of the gospel. Because most of the way people say, okay, tell me five tricks in order to keep my tongue under wraps. Right? That's not the gospel either. So what would that, what does it mean? So we, I frame the gospel for you. You can never control your tongue as you should, but you ought to pursue it. And as we pursue it, it will move our life into a place of thriving better because we're working at controlling the tongue. And so what does steps look like? So that brings, what it ultimately brings for us is self-control. And how, so what are the mechanics of that? And the Proverbs help us of that. That's the Proverbs actually did that. How do I learn to control the club? First one is that self-control is not something used controlling the self. The self is being submitted to God and being under his control. That's what self-control means in the Bible. It doesn't mean, okay, I got to get control of this tongue. It means actually the opposite, that I do need control of this, and there's only one who can help me do it. So the first one is Proverbs 117. 
right? From 1 7. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Where do you go to start to control your tongue? You go back to the fear of the Lord. What do we learn from that passage? That that passage tells us that, that wisdom and any hope in walking down this path only flows from those who are in awe of God and connected to Him. That we see His beauty and remind us of that and who He is. So the first step, if you will, to come under His control is to be in awe of Him, to cultivate that in your eyes. So don't treat the symptoms and try to throw your tongue and say and not say. Start at the core of this struggle, which is at your heart. Whenever you become self uh, the fool, remember the fool in the Proverbs is the one who's not, whose life is not revolved around God. It's disconnected, not doing foolish things. Move your heart and your life back to thinking about who God is and in awe of him. Our only hope to ever build this dam is God himself. The only way this could ever be accomplished, and I see the one who did it. And when we see and have awe of him, then we have the humility to have... Um, the humility that we might need to say, I, I am a sinner, but you, God, are kind. And therefore, I, I don't, I, and, and my identity is not in boasting my opinions to everybody. My hope is found because I'm yours. And therefore, I don't need to have to boast or speak or be known or talk so much to be the center of attention because I see you and you know me and you love me. And therefore, I'm okay. And in the Proverbs, as we do that, we don't put the cart before the horse. We cultivate. So hear me say, hear me, I hope you walk away and hear this from me this morning. My tongue may be out of control. I struggle to control it. I need the Lord's help to restrain it. We all do. First step, remember the gospel and then move back to a place of awe and intimacy. Cultivate that. And then the Proverbs gives you a couple of things that are practical. From this morning, you'll see those. There is a pathway. In the first, in Proverbs uh, 15, 28, it says, The mind of the righteous person thinks before he answers. So as you do that, begin to think. Use strategies to say, how can I think about what I communicate? And then lastly, it says they're also the one who gives an answer uh, before um, he listens, that to, to work at listening. I think those two are the practical ways. If you will begin to say, how can I listen more? And how can I think? Think of, think of strategies for that to help you uh, do that. Not strategies that are absent or devoid of all an intimacy with God. But strategies that say, all right, God loves me. I'll never do this perfectly. I'll never damn this tongue unless uh, God, D-A-M, by the way. I, I was worried about that, using it all morning. It's D-A-M. I'll never... Contain this tongue without the mercy of God. God, help me. As we do that, these are practical. Now come the Proverbs. I need to think before I speak. So there might be things that are just practical ways you can, what would help me think before I speak? So it might be hard. And you say, before my kid asks me for any permission to do something, I'm going to walk away. Hey, would you give me five minutes? And I'm going to go away. Because I know there's some decisions you got to make in a moment. But give yourself permission. Get, talk about that with each other, your spouse. How can I take time to think about some of the things I say? And what things do I, am I messing up and the dam's coming up? Then I need to be thinking more before I speak. And what does thinking mean? Thinking means first going back to the gospel, remembering his own intimacy. And then what would I say? And the Proverbs would help that. And then, and then listening. Um, be a good question to ask each other. Do I listen well? Do you feel like I'm a good listener? And think about strategies to do that. May I hold up to us this morning that Christ, he came to die. And he had the humility uh, to do that. Every word that he says was perfect in just the amount from a heart of love. 
He needed no restraint because of his kindness and goodness was always perfect for us. And he is the one who speaks all the words that we need to know, says them perfectly. He always has thought for you perfectly and loves you. And what he says to you, he's thought through it from infinite wisdom. And he is always listening to us. Let's pray. God, would you help us to um, respond here in... uh, this morning and really believe that if we want to restrain our tongues, that we have something we can't do apart from your mercy. Would you stir in us an awe and intimacy of you that would cause us to want to bring it under submission? And we need help. God, what, what might it look like for us to be a church whose tongues are tamed? What might it look like for us to be a family who is by your grace, figuring out for the tongue to be tamed. That would be transformative in all our lives. We confess the power of the tongue. We confess our uh, lack of power to control it. And we beseech you for all, all help to do so. Amen.